Good morning, everyone. The reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, which can be found on page 1741 of the Pew Bible. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Morning, everyone. How y'all doing this morning? Uh, all right. Uh, my name is Luke. I work with the great students here at High Point, middle and high schoolers, and I am just really excited to get to share with you all this morning. It's really fun to see students up here and students handing out bulletins and doing ushering, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's great to see them be a part of our church body. Um, I've been doing this job for two years, wrapping up my uh, Master of Divinity down at Trinity at the moment. Last semester, I, am, I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm praising Jesus for it. So I'm really excited to get to share. I have um, I've learned a lot of things since starting this job, and I've embarrassed myself maybe once or twice, and, uh, but I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about students and working with students. There is one main takeaway I keep seeing over and over again. If the Lord has shown me one truth that has been constantly reaffirmed over and over again, it's this. And I, I just wanted to focus this morning on it since that's thing God has taught me. I can bless you all with that as well and hopefully encourage you all with it. Uh, teens need more than a great youth group. Teens need more than a great youth group. Uh, when I came into youth ministry, when God was like, go work with students, and I was like, no way. And he was like, do it. And I was like, fine. And I went into youth ministry. I think I came in with this subtle mentality that if I just make an amazing program, get the young people in there, pump them up full of Mountain Dew, play games where there's like food on the walls and ceilings, and then sit them down at you, yell at them to accept Jesus, they'll all do it, and their lives will change, and then they will grow up into stable adulthood. And that's how it works, right? And I found that that is not how it works. And maybe when you hear this, you go, yeah, I, of course I agree with this. Like, for all the things a young person needs, for all the lessons they have to learn, for all the growing up they have to do, a 90-minute-a-week meeting is not going to cover it. This is not going to manage all the challenges of adolescence, no duh. But I think we fall into this kind of subtle thinking that the youth group's just kind of taking care of them. 
And so if we just sort of send them off into their little silo, all their needs will be met and they'll be fine. And uh, I know this can happen for parents. Parents, you guys are doing amazing. I hope this is encouraging. These kinds of talks can, you know, feel discouraging a lot of times. I hope this, I, I, I want to offer this as a come alongside you. You're doing great. Let's keep going kind of a message. But I know it can subtly happen as a parent where you say, well, my kids in youth group, they're hopefully learning some good stuff, so I don't really need to lean in when it comes to talking to them about the tough things. Maybe I don't need to check in with them as much about how they're doing spiritually. It's, it's being taken care of, you know, and you guys are busy, so it just sort of gets checked off your mind. Good, my kids walk with God is being covered. The youth group's taking care of it, but teens need a lot more than just a great youth group. And if you're not a parent, well, then this makes sense that you probably think this because you're not paid like I am to think about reaching teens all day and you're not parents, you're not interacting with teens all day. Um, and so you probably see the teenagers like in their little circles looking at memes on their phones and you're like, I'm so glad they've got a ministry devoted to them. I'm going to just keep my distance. <laughs> Praise God, they are being taken care of. And then you don't pursue them or you don't interact with them because they're being taken care of. And so, um, you might be wondering, like, hearing me talk, you're like, aren't you the guy leading the youth group, and you're talking about how the youth group's not working, what's going on, and I love youth group. I think it's really important. I think it's instrumental. Um, I do think we have a great youth group, and that really has not much to do with me at all. It has to do with the community, right? Like, students going in, building friendships, having an adult who cares about them. It's, it's really important. It's super key. So I think youth group is wonderful. I think it's really important. It's just a start. And so where the youth group ends in what it can accomplish in the life of a young person is where you all step in. It's where the church body comes in to help carry along students in what they need fully. Uh, this is why I love this um, First Corinthians passage, I think it's a great launching point. I'm going to say a bunch of just very practical things this morning that I hope help us figure out, okay, what is my role in helping teenagers uh, become all that they need to be in godliness? Um, but I think this is a really helpful launching point. This First Corinthians passage, Paul is having some kind of issues with the church in Corinth, and he is, in chapter 9, defending his apostleship. He is talking about financial support. He's saying, uh, look, I really could be asking for your guys' money. I, that's, that's perfectly biblical. God has, has ordained that. I'm an apostle. I'm doing the work of spreading the gospel, so rightfully I could ask for your support, but I'm not going to. He says he's motivated intrinsically within himself to share. And this is why he says in verse 19, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So Paul says he's free. He's not financially dependent on anyone, but he's telling the Corinthians, I'm still doing work. <laughs> I'm still pursuing the mission. Just because I'm not accepting money from you guys doesn't mean I'm not all on board with reaching people. And I love this concept, and I love Paul's intentionality. I love how he tries to reach people in a contextualized way. And he says he's laying his life down for the people's reaching, which is really modeling how Christ laid his life down for all of us. 
And you might wonder, uh, for instance, I don't have a ton of time to like dig deeply into this, but like how did Paul become like a Jew? You know, Paul was like the Jew of Jews, right? And he kind of says that's not really important in parts of the Bible, so what's going on? Uh, we're not totally sure exactly what Paul is thinking here, but there's one potential thing in Paul's mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, there's this one line where Paul talks about at the hands of the Jews, he received 39 lashes five times. You might look at that and say, oh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, that is part of the Old Testament law. If someone was uh, false teaching, that they could be beaten. And if, if there's any kind of blasphemy, that they could be beaten that many times. And so imagine Paul going to the synagogue, talking about Jesus as the resurrected Messiah, the anointed one the Old Testament has been pointed to, that his message is now including Gentiles. It's for all people. This could have easily come across as false teaching. And so this is very likely why Paul would have been beaten up. So imagine Paul going to the synagogue, getting the 39 lashes, and then continuing to go preach in synagogues. Over and over and over and over and getting beaten up and beaten up and beaten up. That is what Paul means when he says he's becoming all things to all people. He is submitting himself to the process of reaching every kind of person, no matter what. Whatever it's going to take, I'm going to reach them. That's Paul's heart. And so I want to invite you all to embrace with me the mission and ministry of reaching and raising up students. I don't think you're going to get lashed 39 times by them, although they might make fun of you here or there. They make fun of me all the time, so <laughs> they will be blunt with you. Um, but this is um, what I think Paul's words here encourage us to think through. Okay, well, students, they're in a really unique life stage. They're a unique group in our body, and if we're going to reach them, we need to think strategically, contextually, about how we're going to do that. And then we got to go for it. The reason I think students are in this unique enough life stage is that uh, just adolescence is a challenge. It's hard. I'm going to spend some time just defending young people because I don't think they get that enough. Uh, but being a young person, being in your teens is not easy. And some of you might be feeling as I'm talking about reaching teens, you're thinking, I don't want to. They're moody. They don't talk to me. They don't look up from their phone when I say hi. They scowl at me. They're all spoiled brats. And look, they, they probably all are. All right. It's just probably true. Here's the thing. There is really good reasons. They're kind of frustrated, all right? And some of this you all remember, right? You've, you've all been a teenager, if you're older than a teenager. Uh, you remember high school. You were just submerged in a culture where everyone's at their meanest. Uh, not to mention adolescence nowadays is longer than ever. So it starts in your, like, pre-teens, but you are not a fully functioning adult until your mid to late 20s. Like, I just feel like, I'm 27, I just feel like I'm finally, like, entering adulthood. I'm like, okay, I made it. So you now have over a decade of, I'm not a kid, and I'm not an adult yet. What am I? What is the point of my life? Like, wh what's happening? Okay, so in this whirlwind, and not to mention, their brains aren't developed yet. <laughs> but their emotions are all still there. So they feel all the things that we feel, but you and I, when our, well, you know, when we reach adulthood, we're able to, like, process things and self-analyze and self-diagnose and, like, separate how we're feeling from ourselves and say, okay, here's why this is happening. Let me, let me think through it. A young person, they're just starting to figure that out. And so you have all these emotions, and you're not sure how to unpack it. It's just this big, like, mess. This just big, sloshy mess within you. 
And you're like, I don't know how to unpack all this or think through it. It's just developing. Uh, I think young people today have also been especially uh, given a tough time with the phones and with the internet. Uh, I try not to villainize this because I do think technology is an objectively neutral thing. It can be used for really great, it can be used for bad. Uh, generally speaking, the current research on this is that we have given young people the internet, they don't remember a time without it, and we have not helped them with it. We're like, here you go, here's access to all the world's information. Have fun. And we just give it to them. Because you and I are just figuring this stuff out. We're like, we don't, I don't know how to have a phone, have good boundaries on it, and good discipline. So they're in a really unique stage where this new, like, really big thing came out. And generally speaking, we gave them young, to young people. And we just didn't really help them process through it. So now their social structure has all moved online. And a lot of them aren't necessarily happy about this. They want more face-to-face -face time. Uh, but it's all on the internet. And so now it's all the social media and it's okay, it's all, it's so easy to just compare yourself and say, how attractive am I compared to other people? How many followers do I have compared to other people? How much attention am I getting? Um, as a young person, you are just wondering, do, do people care about me? What do people think about me? What is my identity? And when I was a kid, I, I didn't really have many ways to know that. So you just kind of hope for the best. Nowadays, People could be contacting you and giving you attention through your phone all the time, but most young people feel like they're not. At least not as much as their friends, and so they're comparing themselves to everyone else. Everyone puts the best parts of their lives online, and then you compare the best parts of other people's lives to the worst part of your own life, and then you just feel like, I'm terrible. I think being a young person is hard. Um, and, you know, Paul, like, he speaks very negatively of the Jews and Gentiles, but he says that's not good enough reason for me not to pursue them. The gospel is still for them. Paul first calls himself the worst of sinners. So he says, why, why would I not? So maybe teenagers have given you good reasons to step back. Maybe they've given you the vibe that they don't want your help. They don't want anything from you. Um, but I think we're going to follow Paul's mentality here of becoming all things, all people. Uh, we'll think through what we can to try and reach students, even though they've maybe given you a reason not to. There's probably a good reason they've given you a little bit of pushback. Uh, maybe what you're wondering is, are you telling me I'm going to have to become like this hip teenager now? There's actually a really popular internet meme that talks about this, the how do you do fellow kids guy, right? How do you do fellow kids? This is what you're afraid I'm asking you to do. You're like, oh, I'm going to have to learn how to skateboard, and like I'm going to break all the bones of my body. I can't do this. I can't relate to teens. This is, this is not what I'm asking you to do. Young people do not want you to do this. This gets made fun of. Constantly, if you try too hard to be hip and cool and relevant, they will die inside. They will just die of cringe. They will be like, please stop it. Ah, they don't want it. What they want from you is to be confident, to be yourself, and just to be genuine with them. That's all they want. They do not want you to try too hard. So if you're like, I'm not hip enough for this, you're not hip enough for this, but that's not the point. <laughs> so, teasing more than a great youth group. Let me just get into all the practical things. First of all, we're, we're doing so many uh, amazing things at High Points. Again, this is not like uh, they, the young people are leaving and it's your fault or anything like that. Um, you know, next week is our annual barbecue. This is the big event that we always do, and that money goes toward students. Uh, so please come next week. The food is amazing. It cannot be overstated. If you've been to this barbecue, you know how amazing the food is. It is amazing. It's amazing. It's, amazing. it's just this massive like pulled pork potato. It's just, oh, there's like cheese and barbecue sauce. It's so good. It's so amazing. And we always put Pastor Nick in the dunk tank, so make sure you stick around for that, because that's always a real hit. Um, so please come to that. That money goes toward students. A lot of what we use that for is um, 
sending young people on our trips. So we do retreats, we do some weekend retreats. Um, there's just families who, like, that's, that stuff just gets expensive, but it, the Lord always does really cool things in these weekends. People really bond, and they're really instrumental, and so that money you're giving is going toward young people having these kinds of foundational moments. Um, I also just see a lot of wonderful intergenerational friendships in this church, and people, be, you know, getting to know the young people and embracing them and talking to them. When it comes to outreach, the Jesus lunch is going, and it's getting launched at other schools. Beth Williams and the, the moms have just an amazing job of getting that going, of reaching students. Um, I have an amazing team of youth group volunteers who love the students and care about each other. They're invested in their lives. And uh, this is all the kinds of things that are just absolutely instrumental for a young person making it in their walk with the Lord. Um, let me just now give just a bunch of practical stuff. Because um, we want to reach students, right? Like, we hope they become people who step into adulthood and love Jesus and have made it through all the cultural pressures, and they, and they made it through. They, they got out with their faith intact. That's what we are hoping for. And so I just want to invite you to think through, well, how can you take part in that? And I'm going to give some very large, general kinds of challenges. First off, I've got two big challenges that are a little bit indirect, but they're absolutely essential for a student to be a part of a church that is doing these things and growing in these things. And then I'll have some different kinds of applications for some of you into some different life stages. So first, what all of us can be doing? Some things that all of us can be doing. First big challenge, this is so key, and this, this is really big, and it's, it's, there's way too much that I could say on it. Um, be what you hope teens become. Be what you hope teens become. It's, it's the simple starting point that I want us to think through is we got to live out what we hope the young people are living out. We got to become first. All we hope the next generation is going to be, all we are praying for them, it's got to be from a place where we are doing it. Follow me as I follow Christ, is how Paul phrases it. And I think that's got to be our mentality. I have heard this kind of story too many times, not from people from this church, um, and I think High Point relatively is doing really wonderful at this. Um, they grew up in church, and maybe they had a really great youth group, and they had a youth pastor that liked them, and they had friends. But then when they walked down the church lobby, or they were in the service, or they interacted with people from their church, it was just that the people weren't really living it out. There wasn't a faith that was very exciting. A young person is asking the question, what is my purpose? What's the point of my life? What am I going to be living for? And they are getting bombarded with messages about what they should do with their life. And a lot of that is genuinely helpful, but they're being told, hey, pursue this career path and go to college and be happy and make money and do all these things, right? They're being told that. And if the world is presenting for them a vision of their life that is more... Um, appealing than the picture of what Christ looks like in the church, then it is much more likely they're going to head that direction. Say, well, I'm just going to pursue what all my classmates are pursuing and focus on living the American dream and getting the money and doing the things. And uh, that's just a really heartbreaking story that I hear over and over again. I say, oh, I'm really sorry that that was your experience. So one of the best things we can do is live out a faith that young people are going to look at and say, okay, there's something here. There's something of value. People take this seriously. Their lives are being changed. They're giving glory to God. There's joy. There's peace. There's wrestling. There's genuine acts of service. There's something in this life that looks like it might be for me. 
And it's just more likely that they are going to then decide to follow Jesus, or it's going to be very helpful in their decision to decide whether to follow Jesus. They're submerged in a culture where they see faith really lived out. Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians. Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Paul proved himself to be living it out. And so the Thessalonian church said, all right, if Paul's doing it, then we will just copy him. We'll just go ahead and do it. And I think this is the way we really learn some of the deepest truths. A lot of the deepest stuff that we learn is absorbed. It's caught. It's something that we are just submerged in. And if things are told to us, but then they're not backed up by experience, it's just less likely that it's really going to stick. So the best first step is that we can be what you hope teens become. First off, um, let's make this a place of worship. Let's make this a house of worship. Again, this is so macro level, but I think if we're all thinking this way, it's going to help move the needle toward students experiencing the kind of church that's going to grow them up into godliness. Um, God is here every Sunday. And he is powerful. He is present. He's on his throne, but he's also imminent. God is mighty, but he knows every single thing about you. He knows your past. He knows your failures. And he has sent Jesus to die for you. And he is, he is the most amazing being in the whole universe. He's mighty and powerful and lifted up on his throne. He's awesome. And a church that comes in every Sunday and says, I'm going to meet with God today. It is noticed by the young people. That is noticed. I understand that, you know, we all have different temperaments when it comes to worship style and that kind of thing. But I think as best you can, when you come to church on Sunday, make a note of saying, God, I want to meet with you today. This is not just a religious duty. It's not just a thing I'm going to kind of drag my feet to and sit down and then leave right away. It's not a thing I'm going to, you know, kind of come late to every single Sunday and kind of check out during the, the, the you know, the sermon. I'm going to make this a time where I meet with God. And, um, you know, I, as, as the youth director, could talk about prayer. I give hundreds and hundreds of talk on prayer and say, you shall pray. Young people pray. Why aren't you praying? Be praying. But when a young person steps out into the lobby and they see the people in their church praying over one another, that is so much more powerful because it communicates that the adults in this church believe that there's a real God here, that this is not just like some social club, that there's a God who we can bring our needs to, it's important to bring our needs to, he hears us, he listens to us, he's powerful. When they see us doing the things and worshiping God, making him our center, so much more likely that they're going to say, huh, this is not just like some dumb kind of set of rules I'm supposed to follow. This isn't just a thing I got to do that's going to keep me from having the kind of fun my friends are having. This is about a relationship with the living God for life. So let's make this a place of worship. Um, second, kind of on the opposite side, though, take your sanctification seriously. Some churches get, you know, way on the theology doctrine side, and there's like no heartbeat to it. But some get way emotional and frilly, and it's all about an experience, but there's no depth or substance. Um, we have both sides of this. And so the act of growing in godliness, it should all be motivated out of what Jesus has done for us. But we, if Jesus really died for us and he bled for our sins, then running away from those sins, it's just the, it's just the most natural reaction to that. Gratitude is the strongest motivator toward growing in godliness. 
And so I love the kinds of steps this uh, community has taken. Seeing like the rooted class just absolutely full for weeks and weeks as a class for women. Uh, just seeing that all these women just wanted to come and grow. They're like, I'm not done learning. I'm not done growing. This isn't, you know, we're not just all here kind of like we, we sort of made it. No, we're striving constantly. And what that shows a young person says, okay, there's actually something interesting enough in this life that it's, it's a lifelong pursuit. There's always more to learn. There's always more to grow. One thing my parents did so well, um, my parents always had daily quiet times. They never miss it. I always knew it. I always saw my mom's Bible out. I always knew she did it in the morning. And I remember I had this, I was in like fifth grade. My mom was like, you need to read your Bible. And I was like, no. She's like, do it. And I was like, fine. And so I started reading it. And I was like, you just read it once, right? That's like what I thought as an elementary school kid. I was like, you read it once and then you're done. And my mom was like, no. I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, you have to read it every day. I was like, you can't possibly learn from a book every single day your whole life, right? She was like, yeah, that's exactly right. But she didn't just say that, she proved it to me. Because every single day she would open up her Bible. And I said, huh, she finds this book interesting enough to open up every single day, spend a little bit of time, 20 minutes, 25 minutes at the kitchen table, just reading and filling her, her brain and soul with God's word. And so I started reading. I said, okay, well, yeah, there's a lot in here, huh? And she sort of proved to me that this book was worth reading. Stay in the fight. Stay in the fight of your godliness. If we become a church that sort of gets settled on how sanctified we are and how much we're pursuing sin, um, it's going to be noticed. Uh, another great thing that we've seen is Forgiven and Free has launched. Um, and not to just push all the church programs, but this kind of illustrates the point, right? Uh, Forgiven and Free is for men and women devoted to freedom from sexual sin. And I've been a part of this with the guys. It's been so fun because like the community that's formed has been awesome. Because just a bunch of guys come in and being like, hey, here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm dealing with. And we just talk and we pray for each other. That's it. That's pretty much it. There's like, there's a little lesson, but it's mostly just us talking to each other and supporting each other saying, hey, yeah, I'm there for you. And I love seeing that kind of stuff because it shows young people like, we're not okay with sexual sin. It's, we're, like, this ends. We're putting an end to this. We're going to keep going. And, you know, when you give the lesson to young people to be pure before marriage, they're like, uh-uh. Why would I do that? It just doesn't really make sense. And if they see people pursuing purity, finding the joy and freedom from breaking addictions, and we've seen so many amazing stories in the Forgiven and Free meetings, um, they say, okay, well, there's something, there's something worth pursuing here. So I know this might feel detached. If you don't know many young people, this may feel really detached from young people. But please, at least in and of itself, continue to pursue your godliness. It's going to be noticed. It's going to be recognized. Uh, last one, be on mission. Okay, be on mission. Young people, this is true of my millennial generation and the generation below me. We want, we want our life to mean something. And that's, that's kind of from a bad place in some ways, but it's from a good place in some ways. And I mean, what better way for them to learn about how to help others than through the church. <laughs> like, we should be the main leaders of fighting change and having positions on things and fighting injustice and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they want to see this on a macro level. They want to know we, ha we believe, like, the needs of the world matter and we have positions on this stuff. But they also want to see us personally take steps. Um, just to serve and love others. And I know the word mission might sound like missionary, you know, God's going to like send you some other continent with like poisonous snakes there or something. It's not what I mean. Uh, just being on mission is just saying, God, you've given me an eternal job, a job that has eternal impact. 
And so maybe that's just inviting some coworkers to your house who don't come to church and showing them hospitality. So it's just an amazing witness to your kids or making, you know, a neighbor who's going through something hard uh, a meal, right? It doesn't have to be these massive things. Um, if students see us, you know, talking to our coworkers about Jesus, they say, okay, we, we really care about the lost souls of our city. And we're, we're not all skilled evangelists. We're not, you know, we're not going to State Street and, and doing stuff like that. We are just faithfully in our lives when we can. Um, being on mission, taking steps to make our lives about something bigger than just ourselves. And for me, this is the most fun part of being a Christian. <laughs> it's awesome that God has given us a mission. He says, Go fill the world, have children, love and serve. Your ministry to other people is eternal. That the people you pour into, uh, the people you mentor, the people you share the gospel with who accept Jesus, those people will be with you eternally. We can live for something so much bigger than just a paycheck. We can live for the eternal perspective. It's amazing. And so please be on mission, whatever that looks like for you. And not all of you are going to say, oh, I, I don't know how to do this. Or not all of you are going to feel like you can just go way out of your comfort zone and, and share the gospel. And I, I totally understand that the Lord has gifted us in different ways. Um, but what, what does it look like for you to be on mission, to say, I want to love and serve uh, using my gifts, using the people God has put in my life, I want to love and serve. That is a powerful witness to the young people who are looking up to us to, to decide what they want their life to be about. Second large challenge for y'all. First large challenge, be what you hope teens become. This first most foundational thing. We got to live out, have a faith worth aspiring to. Second, uh, Build a culture of warmth. Help build a culture of warmth. This is basically straight from this book, Growing Young. This is a book out of Fuller Youth Institute. They've done all this research. What actually helps young people? What makes their faith stick? What makes a difference? What really matters? This comes up all the time. One of the most common responses they get when they survey people who grew up in the church and stayed in the faith through their 20s, they say their church felt like family. Their church fell like a family. Because the young person is asking, where do I belong? Does anyone care about me? Does anyone, like, does anyone give a rip about who I am? That's, that's what they're asking. And so for the young people who grew up in church, and it felt like family. They belonged. They were recognized. It was noticed when they weren't there. They were given responsibility. When it felt like a family, they point to that as one of the key reasons that they stayed through and had a positive experience with the church growing up. One of the best examples, and I asked him if I could share this story. One of the best examples of this is J.J. Brandon. J.J. Brandon is so awesome. He's been interning with us, and it's been so fun. And he's grown up in the youth group, and he's done amazing, and he's led worship for us, and he's done all this stuff. But what is so clear to me is that what has made the difference for J.J. Brandon is the fact that he's been a part of our church family. There's been so many guys, especially who've come alongside him and cared about him and walked through with him the long process of adolescence, and this has just been his church home. And for him, like, that is why he is now following the Lord better than ever, because he's just been carried along by his church family. This is a place that he loves to come because he knows that he belongs here. He knows this is a place where he feels at home. And so I'd love to see more and more of these kinds of stories happen. As best you can, uh, attempt empathy with young people. Again, they're, they're going through a lot. If they scowl at you, if they try to avoid you, just— 
it's all right. <laughs> Shrug it off. It happens. I've been scowled at. It's, it's all good. Keep, just keep moving. Uh, they're going through a lot. As much as we can, let's be careful about how we talk about young people as well. I get a lot of the, how do you deal with those obnoxious middle schoolers? And I know, I know what you mean. I know you're being lighthearted with it. It still communicates something that the young people feel like they're kind of a problem. And if you feel like you're a problem, like you're not going to feel like this is really your church family. And so uh, attempting empathy, involving your kids, you know, in your lobby conversations. When you're talking with people, involve your kids. They're, they're probably just in their board on their phone. Include them in the conversation. Uh, this doesn't mean that you need to like you know, go around and meet every single young person here. But when you can, get to know a younger person. Ask them their name. If they're sitting next to you in the pew or your kids have their friends over or you see them at a congregational meeting, just say hi and thank them for being here. I, one thing that I actually just remembered while we were singing was a couple of weeks ago, we did like the senior send-off where they went back in the micro rooms and had little billboards. They're like, this is what I'm doing next year. And I remember Manohar James, who's on staff here, he's in uh, India currently, he went around to every single graduating senior and just for like a minute, just talked to each of them. There's like 10 of them. Just walked around to every single one and introduced him and, and said, hey, tell me about yourself a little bit. And I just, I loved seeing that. I was like, Manohar, you're so awesome. He just went around and there was a bunch of people in there, but I, I just noticed him. He, he doesn't have kids in high school, but he came back there and said, I'm going to get to know each one of these young people a little bit. Those are the kinds of opportunities um, to really invest in young people. It's, it's really noticed. When an adult speaks to a young person, it's really noticed. It's really felt. It's very appreciated. All right. Um, let me talk to kind of some different life stages here. So if you're not a millennial, you can do like a crossword puzzle or something for a few minutes. Uh, millennials, let me talk to you all. People in their 20s, mostly, maybe young 30s. Um, you are at a really unique life stage. We millennials understand Generation Z. We are more like Generation Z than Generation X. We kind of like the Gen X people, like some of us really relate to, but we actually understand Gen Z more and more. And so we are in a really key life stage where I think we can have a really special and unique influence with young people. And so the main thing I want you to consider this morning, if you're a millennial, and I'd love to talk with you more about that and figure out how you can do this, uh, to be a mentor. To be a mentor. This is a drum that I've been beating, and I'm kind of going to keep going because I, I, oh gosh, I just really think this is so key. Look, kids, like students who come to youth group, they are not going to open up about all of what they're going through in their small group time. It is not going to happen. The, the, the social pressures are just too strong for that to happen. And this is probably true of your own small group too. When you're sitting in a group of people, you're probably not getting into all the stuff. And so research, like the Growing Young book, talks a lot about how young people need adult friendships. They absolutely need it. And some of this is kind of contextual because currently we have moved away from our extended family. Young kids are growing up without knowing their grandparents. We don't know our neighbors anymore. We don't know our extended family very well. So they're just growing up. Like young people today almost never talk to adults ever. Like besides a teacher or coach, but that's a really unique and, and very limited relationship. So young people just, they need someone to talk to. And you 20s, you millennials, you're in the sweet spot. You really are. You're in the spot where a teen says, you're not my dad, but you're not me. And that's perfect. <laughs> and there's just much more willingness for them to open up. And 
You're, just in a, you're in a really, really cool spot. All right, so millennials, you have an amazing opportunity to be a mentor. I get two primary pushbacks. I've gotten the same pushback dozens of times when I, when I talk to people about this. One, I can't do that. Like, I'm not, I'm not good at that. I'm not, I, I don't have enough good life wisdom to share, so I can't really mentor a young person. I can't mentor a teenager. And two, I don't have time. That's the other big one I hear. Uh, the, the don't have time thing, I understand, but if you don't have kids, come on. <laughs> you have time. Like, think critically about how you actually spend your time. You probably have a little bit of time. I can't imagine a better use of your time than mentoring a teenager. Like, I just, I've heard this story over and over again. A, a young per, a person will say, I, you know, when I talk to them, I say, how did you really come to Christ, or what made the difference? So often they say, I was going along, feeling kind of unnoticed, unrecognized, then this one person came into my life. Someone in their 20s, they were 25 or whatever, they noticed me, they complimented me, they saw in me something I felt like no one else did, and they just walked with me through adolescence. And it just made the difference. It just turned my whole life around. And it's, it's just, I hear this story so many times. And, and just to think about you getting to be that for a young person is so cool. <laughs> I mean, it's so much better than being up on all the latest shows, right? Just to know that you have brought a young person whose life was going to go this way. You helped them come this way. I, I've, I've heard this so many times. And there's probably a lot of other factors involved with that. But a lot of times people point to this one person came alongside me and they helped me just walk through life. Um, so if you think more critically if you don't have time. If you feel like you don't know what to say, uh, it's totally fine. Like really all a young person needs is for you to like take them out to ice cream and just let them vent to you and be like, you're going to be fine. And like, that's it. <laughs> that's pretty much all I do. The young people I meet with, they're like, I'm mad. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. And they're like, okay. I'm like, you want to get ice cream? They're like, yeah. I'm like. That's, that's pretty much how I disciple people, all right? <laughs> no, I mean, op we open the Bible, we do some stuff, but that is really what helps. That is what helps. So you, you don't need to be this theology buff, whatever, I know all the Tim Keller books. You don't need to know all that stuff, right? You were a teenager not that long ago. You have a lot that you can say uh, to a young person. Okay, I think that's all I said about that part. Um, parents. Parents, all right, you can stop doing your crossword puzzles. Um, parents, you're doing awesome. I'm not a parent, so this is all stuff I've gotten from parents or from reading or that kind of thing. I, again, this is hopefully um, just kind of helping encourage you and, you know, maybe you've lost some of your discipline on some of these things or, or you're just looking for some advice. I, I hope this is helpful because, uh, you know, I only have your kids a few hours a week, and a 20-something mentor is only going to have your kid maybe every other week or something for like an hour. So well, I, I get that you are really the main disciplers of your kids. It's where the main spiritual formation happens. And so I want to give some thoughts for parents. Um, how can, what can you do for, for your kid? Uh, first off, just be in their lives. Be in their lives. Gosh, this is so simple, but man, if I have not heard this story— over and over again, um, just young people growing up and feeling like, yeah, my parents just didn't talk to me all that much. And you know, nowadays parents are sacrificing a lot for their kids. Like they're driving them everywhere and they're getting them in all the things, but then the relationship is just not really there. And, and I understand why that happens. You know, parents mean well, but a, a kid really just needs you in their life. That's the main thing they need from you. Uh, I, there's a wonderful 
person at this church, Abby Bernard. Um, she's a volunteer, and I, after youth group one day, she's so solid in her faith, and she has two siblings who are so solid in their faith, and she was a pastor's kid. And I was like, how did this happen? <laughs> and I asked her, I was like, Abby, how'd you guys turn out so solid? Like, what happened? She just right away was like, my dad was in my life. My dad just talked to me. We did game nights. We had fun. We had unstructured hangout time a lot. They were just there. I knew they were for me. I knew I could go to them with stuff. I knew, like, I knew my dad was there for me. So as best you can, just be in their lives. It's, it's better to talk to your kid 15 minutes a day than, like, two minutes a day, right? And so as much as you can, just talk to them. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them about their life. You know, they're, they're going to be sulky. They're going to push back. Keep asking. Keep asking. Uh, there's a really helpful book, TechWise Family. Parents, read this book. Read this book, parents, if you have not, because the tech stuff, the screens, is one of the larger issues that's driving a wedge between parents and young people. This book has a lot of really helpful thoughts. You know, he talks about things like getting screens out of your main hangout areas. Get the TV out of your kitchen. When you sit down for dinner, that's what's going what's gonna to happen. You're going to turn it on. And so get the screens out of main hangout areas. Choose game nights over movie nights. Get, you know, there's now ways that you can turn your Wi-Fi off at like 7.30. And so if you do that, your kids are going to like come out of their caves, you know, and like blinking in the sunlight and be like, I guess I should talk to my mom. My phone stopped working. What do I do? So. Get the text of Ray. This stuff's so important. Just, it, it, like, it's just some simple boundaries to put the stuff in their place. Get them out of the main hangout areas of your house. Don't give your preteen a smartphone with no rules attached to it. Give it to them and, you know, don't let them take it to bed with them. In the car ride, you know, phone's down in the car, phone's down at the dinner table, whatever. Get this stuff. It can be a wonderful tool. But get the tech in its proper place that you can actually just talk to your kids and be in their lives. Um, next, be their coach. This is like the least spiritual point I have to make. Andy Stanley talks about this. Um, Andy Stanley pastored down in Atlanta. Uh, he talks about how there's really different stages of parenting. You have the discipline stage in one to five. This is the most important stage. If you miss this stage, the rest of it goes sideways. But if you get that part right, you get to enter the training phase and then the coaching phase in their teens. The current research, uh, the book iGen talks about this, is that uh, Gen Z is growing up slower than ever. They're very safe. They're not rebellious at all, or less rebellious, I should say. Uh, they're less rebellious than my generation. And um, they are resisting growing up. And so we're sending them off to college, and they have, like, no social skills. <laughs> or very, I, should, I should say no social skills. They're growing up lacking proper social skills. And they've not worked jobs. They are not, kids are not getting their license anymore. Like 17, 18, they're like, yeah, I don't really need my driver's license. So as much as you can, coach them toward adulthood. Like, start giving them freedom. Send them out into the world, all right? So they're actually being pretty safe in in-person hangout times. Let them go hang out with their friends. Let them stay out past curfew once in a while. Okay, we, we tend to put the restrictions around physical hanging out time, and then, like, no restrictions around the tech screen communication, that those should be flipped. All right? Let them socialize with their friends. Let them go learn how to adult. They need to figure it out. So be their coach. And finally, be gospel-centered. Be gospel-centered. Bring your conversations back to Jesus. Uh, kids now, they are being pumped into a highly competitive world. They are being labeled from a very young age, good, bad, smart, not smart, athletic, not athletic. It all is just this constant 
battle to try and achieve what the grown-ups are asking them to do. And kids just feel frustrated. They feel abandoned. They feel like we're, they're kind of adults' agenda. They're like, we're like, do all this stuff for us. And we're just kind of laying out these boxes, and we're like, jump in the boxes, do the thing. And they're like, ah, okay, I'm doing it. But now what? Like, it's, we're just telling them to do all this stuff. And um, the, the best thing your kid can hear is the gospel. The good news that their worth is not based off what they achieve, is based off what Jesus has achieved. It is good news. It's good news for all of us, but it is good news for your teenager. They are feeling the weight of the world. In the household code section in, in Ephesians and Colossians, it talks about not embittering your kid or exasperating them. I think what Paul's talking about is like, don't set up these discipline standards that your kid feels like they can never reach. Be gospel-centered. Show grace to your kids. They need discipline, and they want you to discipline them. It should be couched in love, kindness, graciousness. Um, the gospel is such good news for teenagers because, again, the pressures they are facing, the competition they are feeling, like their value is all in what they're achieving. So we're making a bunch of workaholics. We're making a bunch of people-pleasers because their identity is being found in how they're achieving. It's in their grade point average. It's in whether they make varsity as a freshman. It's in, in their ACT score. It's what college they're going to. It is what everything seems to ride on. And adults tend to just praise kids when they achieve something. When they get the good grade, when they score the goal, that's when we're most proud of them. Be proud of your kid for what Jesus wants you to be proud of them for. Be proud of them for what Jesus sees in them. Compliment them on their growth. Compliment them. Like they, they, young people want feedback from us. They want us to, like, quick little feedback where we say, hey, I recognize this act of kindness. Hey, I really appreciated your patience with your sibling back there. Those are the kind of things um, to encourage growth, to let your kid be bad at things. Like, they don't need to be varsity. Like, let them play a sport they're bad at. Look, if your kid's bad at math, maybe he's just bad at math. <laughs> it's okay. Like, all your expectations don't need to be on how good your kid is at certain things. They feel that. Be gospel-centered. When you're talking to your kids, point them to Jesus. Jesus is the answer to what they're going through. He is the answer to the longings of their heart. So when you can, this doesn't mean having an hour of family devotions every day, but it means when you can, pointing your kids back to Jesus. Let me very quickly talk to empty nesters. One quick thing. Empty nesters, I don't know if you know this, but we millennials love you guys. <laughs> we think you're awesome. I hang out with Kent Rawhauser and Mark Finley all the time, and they are amazing. I'll, like, I'll be like, I'm struggling. They're like, you're fine. I'll be like, thanks. <laughs> That's pretty much it. It's amazing. Like, you guys, we, I don't know what it is. I think we just all moved away from our parents, and then, like, your guys' kids all moved away from you. Like, we should just form, like, new families, right? Like, you should just adopt, adopt a millennial. We want it. We really want it, but we're kind of too scared to ask. So, mentor millennials, mentor millennials, like, be a parent figure to us. We moved away from all our parents. We are really looking for it. If you are mentoring us, we will be much more prepared and able to mentor younger people, okay? And a lot of you have grandkids, and all this stuff about parents applies to you as well. And a kid, you know, kids need their grandparents. They need the, they need someone to be like, have some more ice cream, don't tell mom, right? Like, every kid needs that. So, MDSers, you guys are awesome. We really love you guys. Uh, students, let me talk to students for a second. You maybe feel a little weird, like you've been a part of a conversation like you shouldn't be invited to. Uh, we're, we really love you guys. We're glad that you're here. Let me just say this to you. God has given you what you need. I know this whole talk has been, we need to do all this stuff for the young people. I, I, all this stuff I'm saying is really helpful for you guys, but 
you do have God's spirit within you. The gospel is for you. The gospel is good news for all of us. I know the stuff you're going through is hard. The gospel is good news for you. Jesus is there with you. So if the adults have failed you in your life, I'm sorry, uh, but don't jump ship because adults have let you down. God has given you what you need for life and godliness. And so continue to pursue him and have grace on us adults when we try, you know, to talk to you and we're really awkward or whatever. So, all right, teens need more than a great youth group. And so I invite you all to consider with me how you can embrace the mission of reaching teens. A very new and recent story was um, just a young person in our ministry got to the point, he's a junior now, uh, got to the point where he was like trying to figure out, you know, what his life was going to be. And, and we all get to this point where we're like, you know, Am I going to live for Jesus or not? And he went to a camp, and he met someone who just completely identified with the situation and got in there with him and talked through it, and he accepted Christ, and he came back just on fire. This, this guy is just loving Jesus right now. And he heard about his friend, uh, this is like a lifelong friend, who was moving away. And so he said, I gotta, I gotta go share Jesus with this, with my friend. And so he drove to his house and shared Jesus with him for an hour and a half. And he came to me the next day. He's like, I didn't do it right. I messed up. How do I do this? I was like, it's all good. You did amazing. That's awesome. And it's so cool to see young people get fired up for Jesus. They can do amazing things. Young people can do amazing things. And I, I think the mission of embracing teens is awesome. Because God loves them. The gospel is such good news for them. And this is why we have a body. Paul's whole metaphor of the body, how we have different body parts, um, he's not saying that, like, unity kind of works through diversity, or unity can kind of limp along through diversity. He's saying unity requires diversity. We need to be different. And he says the weaker parts of the body should receive more honor than the other parts. And so, church, we, this is why God has set up our church this way. Because he knows we're coming in different life stages, different experiences, and we can come together and become one body. And so let's embrace the mission of reaching and raising up young people into godliness. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we are so thankful that you have um, given us the mission of reaching students. It's a fun mission. It's awesome to see what you've done through it already. And Lord, I pray that you would guide us in. Personally, I, like, what's my role in this? How do, I, how do I do this? God, we need your help on it. We know you're the one who accomplishes all this. And so, Lord, give us a vision um, for what we need to become. Help us to remember to, to be warm, to be welcoming when people come in this church who don't look like us, that we would show kindness. And Lord, let's be intentional in pursuing the young people in this church and embracing them and making them a part of our church family. In your name, amen.